National media continues to exaggerate and promote misleading negative headlines designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Remember, the only people who want to defund the police and dismantle these agencies are the criminals. And don't forget to thank a cop. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. In the studio this morning, we have Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels and Sierra Vista Police Chief Heiser. Chris Heiser. Chris Heiser. But on the phone, we have Hal Kempfer, who is the CEO of Global Risk Intelligence Planning. And he's going to tell us what's going on with that balloon. Is Putin still around? (laughs) Nobody got the note to the chef yet, apparently, because he's still around. (laughs) What's going on, Hal? Uh, Well, the balloon turned out to be uh, uh, a Uh, non-threat. NORAD was tracking it, and it wasn't like the Chinese balloon or anything like that. So it was a... It definitely got a lot of attention, though, because we're all a little um, focused on... Uh, This last week, though, uh, eight Chinese uh, offensive spy balloons flew over Taiwan. And, of course, with all the other news, that kind of got swept under the table. But but the Chinese are still launching spy balloons all over the Pacific. Um, A lot lot going on this week, obviously. It's the two-year anniversary or two years into the war, however you want to describe that. Yeah. Uh, uh, everybody's kind of doing a, a take on this. Of course, the big question is, is Congress going to, uh, is the House really uh, going to pass the aid package to uh, Ukraine? You know, they lost uh, the first significant city, uh, Avdivka, a uh, long fight since October. The Russians have took horrendous losses uh, to gain some uh, ground. The city's destroyed. There's nothing there, but uh, but they took huge huge losses to get it, and the Russians are making uh, you know marginal gains at great cost on the battlefield. Problem is, without the aid, uh, ammunition, and the uh, Ukrainians just don't have the ammunition in order to uh, certainly to do no offensive action. But they are really being outgunned, so that's that's a big problem across the front there. Uh, and of course, you know uh, Alexei Navalny. Uh, uh, you know, died over a week ago, and uh, the latest report that came out, and I kind of thought that maybe this was the case. You know, there's been a lot of talk that maybe they did poisoning or something like that. Putin did some sort of various thing. But the easiest thing to do, I mean, he was in a uh, a camp by the Arctic Circle, and now they're saying that it looks like they just took him outside for about two and a half hours in the freezing cold, and, uh, and they may have just simply punched him with a old KGB technique to cause a, uh, uh, his heart to stop. So uh, a little bit of hypothermia. And, yeah, he's and, a uh, piece of work. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Um, now, to not yeah. give the body back because, you know, of everything, evidence. They can't afford to have an autopsy. Yeah. You know, if they have an autopsy, it'll prove what's going on. Uh, I don't know. Uh, down south, uh, when you get into the... Uh, uh, Gaza, uh, uh, Netanyahu rolled out what he called a uh, long-term plan down there. Uh, it's taken a lot of hits in the international community on that. What he wants to do doesn't involve the Palestinian Authority. Um, there still looks like they're ramping up to go into that last major city in the south, Rafa. And uh, uh, you know, the other, yeah, the, the bigger issue there is uh, there's uh, talks of a possible ceasefire still ongoing in Paris, 
they still say that, that it could reach something with that. So we'll see how that rolls out. And of course, you know, there's still the, the Houthis are still attacking ships in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. And uh, they hit some ships uh, Thursday. His ship Thursday set it ablaze, did not sink it. They haven't sunk one yet. There was one that they were claiming they sunk last week, but uh, but they did cause some very serious damage. So there's just a lot going on uh, all over the world as we're, uh, as we're rolling into this weekend. Yeah, it sounds like it. Nothing's, nothing's slowed down. So we're, no. we're still trying to get that note to the chef. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you know, there's still been a lot of speculation. Uh, it popped up again. You know, uh, Putin's been in the news a lot, but there's still speculation about his health. Uh, what he, you know, that he's suffering from Parkinson's or something like that, and that that popped up in the news again this last week. Uh, although, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's almost like that Monty Python, uh, you know, the uh, the Holy Grail where they you know, say roll out the dead, and, and uh, he keeps popping up and saying, "I'm not dead yet." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, he keeps he, you know they they always doing really bad and everything, and then he pops up in the news and he's like, he looks kind of healthy. Unfortunately, and, uh, yeah, he does. Yeah, unfortunately, he does. Yeah. Well, I appreciate so. you giving us an update, keeping us posted on what's going on. Yeah, and well, you, you have a good you weekend. Okay. Okay, you too. Okay. Right. Yeah, sure. Take care. Okay. Now, tell us what happened this morning. Well, the chief and I, well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> good morning, Sherry, to you. And chief and I were coming up here, and uh, one of the agencies got into a pursuit this morning, and it was a stolen vehicle. I'm not sure it was stolen out of a sedan vehicle. Took off uh, from the, the the deputy and Coming into Benson, one of our sergeants spiked it. Uh, the driver took off, a successful spike, which means we're tired deflation devices. The vehicle took off um, from there, went about a mile before it came, stopped, and driver took off. Uh, I think there were three uh, illegals, uh, migrants in the vehicle. They took off. Uh, we, and the chief and I got there, Chief Heiser, when we got there, uh, we could hear yelling going on. Uh, I think one of them was fighting one of the Border Patrol agents that was on scene, too, and we helped secure him, and we had our helicopter en route, and they were out there searching the desert for the rest of them, so trying to identify who the driver was. The, the, the deputy thought this was the driver, but Chief and I think... We don't think it was. I, don't, I think it was one of the migrants in the car. But so either way, uh, that's why we're almost late. So we <laughs> we say, hey, we got to go. We got to go get on Sherry Show here. <laughs> so this is becoming routine down in your your county, though. Sad to say, you're correct on that. And yeah. uh, we're seeing the impact over the last two years. We booked two thousand eight hundred eighty-four people for border crimes in Cochise County Jail, and that's service to police departments, all the police departments, sheriff's office, and troopers. And these are not immigration issues. These are border-related crimes with a connection to the border. Uh, that 400 and some were pursuits alone. Wow. So, Chief, you're brand new. How long have you been the chief? I have been chief since uh, July 15th, so uh, a few months now. Okay, we want to know everything about you, okay. what got you involved in law enforcement, how long you've been doing it, where have you been? Talk to us. Absolutely. Share it all. Uh, thanks for having me, Sherry. Uh, well, I'm an Arizona native um, and actually come from a, a family of law enforcement. My dad was a Phoenix police officer and my sister, older sister, uh, Mesa police officer. And I, I grew up in the Valley. And um, I uh, so I was uh, the talk 
uh, at the Sunday dinner table was always uh, cop work, police yeah. work, because my sister was uh, a little older than me, and I was going in high school when she uh, became a police officer, and then my dad was a Phoenix uh, a sergeant for Phoenix Police Department for almost 30 years, so um, I knew it was what I wanted to get into as well, and um I uh, went to college at Arizona State University. I hope. Uh, oh, you're one of those. I am, <laughs> and I know. I compliment you, Chief. Thank you. That. It's uh, you know, uh, in Southern Arizona, I know I shouldn't be bragging about that. So, yeah. <laughs> you and didn't my, come in wearing the shirt. <laughs> no, my and my wife's a wildcat, so I don't even get to brag about it at home. So, <laughs> but anyway, I, I uh, went to Arizona State University. I uh, came down to uh, Southeastern Arizona by way of uh, being a uh, Arizona Game and Fish Department officer. Okay. So that, I actually, not too long out of college, I got picked up by Arizona Game and Fish as an officer. And uh, my first duty post was in Wilcox, Arizona, actually. And that was my first time uh, really experiencing Cochise County. And I, and I really fell in love with Cochise County. And uh, I worked from between Wilcox to Nogales and everything in between, actually, as a Game and Fish officer. And uh, uh, worked in the Sierra Vista area a lot. And uh, I was a game and fish officer when 9-11 happened, and mm. it had uh, quite an impact on me, and as it did uh, everybody else in the nation. So um, I really wanted to kind of make a transition into uh, uh, being a law enforcement officer for a municipality or a sheriff's office and uh, being a first responder. Uh, the game and fish work was only about half law enforcement and half biology, and I wanted to move into full-time law enforcement. So uh, uh, over 20 years ago, I... Uh, I uh, lateraled to service the police department, which what that means is you're already certified and you just you, you move over to a different agency and um, kind of started my career over again in in a way when I had to start over with uh, service the police department. But that was uh, uh, over 20 years ago and um, been there ever since. And I've done uh, quite a few different jobs over the last 20 years uh, with the agency, uh, moved up the ranks I've done in uh uh, as a sergeant, patrol sergeant, I was a um, uh, overseeing our major crimes unit for as a sergeant. So that's uh, the homicides, uh, sexual assaults, child crimes, kidnapping. Um, I oversaw a lot of those cases, uh, internal affairs. And then um, I was also on the SWAT team, and I, I moved up to become the SWAT commander for service to police department. And uh, then... Probably uh, the position uh, that really prepared me to be the police chief the most was actually being the admin commander, where I had to uh, become the budget officer for service to police and start that. Budget, that's yeah. something that some law enforcement people don't understand. And yeah, well, you don't go, <laughs> no, you don't go to the police academy to, to, to learn how <laughs> to, to manage a budget. No, you don't. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and our our budget service to PD is uh, in excess of sixteen million, our annual budget, and so um, you got to you got to stay on top of it. And yeah. I learned a lot about uh, uh, expense accounts and uh, uh, purchasing and uh, the, the paying the bills to keep a police department running. Mm -hmm. that, that's the other half of it. And um, did you put everything on auto pay? That's what I would do. And, you know, if I could have, <laughs> I would have, but. Uh, um, the uh, the other part of it was all the civilian uh, support uh, bureaus for law enforcement, and that's when you kind of get the exposure to that as well. So uh, dispatch records and uh, animal control. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was kind of my first exposure to uh, the entire agency uh, and managing every uh, aspect of it. So I did that for the last six years. Uh, before I made uh, deputy chief in our department, and I I had a very quick turnaround. I made deputy chief, 
And then um, uh, a month later, I made uh, police chief in July. And it was just because of some fast turnarounds in retirement. You just kind of skipped right through it. I did. I skipped right through <laughs> deputy chief. I, had, I didn't even move into the office, actually. I, I stayed in my commander office and uh, because uh, the chief opening was coming up, and I was going to apply for that, too. So um, I went for that. And, yeah, and moving's, moving's not fun. It so. is. But uh, I tell you, I'm um, very proud of uh, the men and women of the service, the police department. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be in charge of it. Uh, it's a uh, it's a great organization. Sierra Vista is a great community to be a police officer. It's been very rewarding. Um, this is an, an awesome way to capstone a career is to be the chief of that that uh, that agency. And we have some work to do. Uh, I've got some goals, and uh, we've got some challenges upon us, just as we shared with you this morning, uh, the pursuits. We saw a record number of pursuits in the city of Sierra Vista last year, uh, and we need to get ahead of it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work, some planning, and it's going to take teamwork and, and uh, efforts like uh, Safe Streets uh, details that the sheriff's office has, has headed up. And Okay, what is yeah. Safe Streets? Safe Streets, we all come together, truly is. All the police departments, the troopers, Border Patrol, uh, the agents that we have left down there, <laughs> and then uh, sheriff's office. And we come together and we, our primary focus is to get the, the smugglers, interdict crime that has nexus to the border. So, and it's been very, very successful. After you do, you threw the strip out to flatten the tires. Yes. Are those reusable? Yes. Oh. Yes. I didn't know. Yeah, there's, there's actually two different kinds. There's a, there's a, a stinger spike strips, and then we use stop sticks, which are more of a, a triangular <laughs> foam style one that you can throw out. So there's different kinds out there. And kind of like can, glue? What yeah. Is, what? They uh, they have uh, removable spikes that slowly, once they're embedded in the tire, they slowly uh, uh, slowly allow the air to come out of the tire. <laughs> and then basically, we uh, we can replace those and reuse them. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. And, and there's a new technology out there that we call grapplers, which actually DPS, the troopers, are using them already. And the company's out of Chandler, Arizona. So we're trying to get our hands on a few. I think the service PD is too. Yeah, we have some coming. We uh, we ordered some through a grant. Uh, there was quite of a, a long wait for them because there's a there's a, actually a big demand for them. For them. They're uh, very effective at ending pursuits. We actually just found out that uh, ours are uh, are here and uh, we need to start getting them uh, on our vehicles and start training with them. So You could have used it this morning. We could have, yes. <laughs> yeah, they just throw it out there. Yeah. And the grappler grabs the tires it does so it's, it's kind of think of it like a uh, a very strong toe strap type material it shoots out it uh tethers around a, a rear tire and uh basically at this point uh the law enforcement vehicle and the um the vehicle that's being pursued are, are now joined at the hip literally so we're, we're stuck together by a, a very uh strong uh toe it's strap. togetherness yeah and it stops it slows it down and um i th- I've seen it in action. Uh, Highway Patrol uses it a lot in Cochise County. It's been very effective at safely ending these pursuits. I'm going to have to look for a video. I'd like to see how that works. If you go and look up Grappler, you, you'll Grappler. see them. They're out there. We and Both the chief and I have seen it in action, like he's saying, and it works. It's a safe way to bring a, a high-risk, deadly pursuit to a close. It's nice. Do you have them? We're on order just like the chief. Yeah, okay. we're, we're trying to get them. They're hard to get because... They're just so they're so successful. Everybody wants them. So yeah, well, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. What do you think about the red flag law that they're talking about putting into effect? Is that going to have an effect on anything? My biggest concern. <laughs> I've said this for last couple of years. It's been a hot topic. I understand the intent, but the law already exists. So if we have people that are a threat to themselves or others, 
we don't need a red flag law. We can intervene automatically. The legal system gets involved. The experts of mental health get involved, and we address it. What I worry about red flag, the personalities behind it and the agendas behind it. Uh, and the fact that somebody says, hey, Sherry's not stable. She was out there planting at <laughs> 2 in the morning. You Does that mean we out. <laughs> so she calls and claims a red flag. Does that mean we take your yeah. stuff away? I hope not. Everybody's yeah. entitled to due process under the Constitution. I think we need to keep what we're doing. It works. And it's not a flame. It. Let's deal with the social side of it, but let's not do it through a red flag law. How do you feel? Yeah, well, I'll tell you. Um, so, so mental health calls are, are a daily call for us, and it, it keeps us busy. But uh, the way to approach it is we are already, I think, very well empowered to deal with this. And it's more to, to address it. It's more about the partnerships with the law and law enforcement uh, as well to um, – Davis Monthan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought your heater was coming on. <laughs> it's like, I hope they're on our side. But yeah, I, I think we uh, we need a, a wide range of solutions because these these um, as these calls come in and these situations arise, um, there's no one single solution. There's a lot we have to apply to these things. And so we need that empowerment to try a number of different tools. And we don't want to be restricted or and now having a, a law that's going to make us have to be a little more narrowly focused when maybe a better solution is out there that we're empowered to use outside of that. And it already exists. Yes. And Sherry, we just got a mental health team, a doctor and three care professional workers that they're first responders for all law enforcement in Cochise County. So if chief has an issue, I have an issue or any department, we have that first responder to evaluate the situ- situation and then take their recommendations from experts. So we're not violating somebody's Instead rights. Instead of the ex, ex-wife yes. or ex-husband or, you know, somebody right. who's just trying to insinuate their, their uh, plan. Exactly. So... Okay. Is that something that every county has? Does Pima County have that? Uh, Pima County has a very good response team, a very good mental health response team. Um, Now we have it, but not everybody has it. We were fortunate to go after some innovation and get a grant along with our law enforcement down there. So we have something most rural counties don't. Rural counties are the ones taking the hit on this because they don't have the funding for it or the resources. Or the facilities. So we've been pretty fortunate because we work so well together. we got a pretty special county, and I'll just give Chief Heiser a shout-out. I, I like what he's doing over there. He's a big partner in regionalization, and we're doing a lot of regional stuff down there. SWAT, communication, our dispatch center, uh, uh, narcotics we're pushing for, border. So we're, we've been successful because we work together. Yeah, and I, I would tell you, uh, with the um, with the, the evolution of our, our mental health response in Cochise County over the over the last 20 years, it's um, come a long way uh, in a really good way, too. Um, and so and it's it's been the teamwork, the cohesion, and it's a multidisciplinary approach to problem like that. It can't just be law enforcement. It's, it, there's a lot of other professionals that take a uh, more of a, a, a cohesive uh, approach to it. And that's that comes with regionalization on, on a number of endeavors, whether it be like for us, uh, CECOM, I, I could talk about CECOM. Uh, what is CECOM? CECOM is Southeastern Arizona Communications. It's our regional 911 dispatch center. And uh, the sheriff's office actually uh, got the facility to uh, host this. And, I was going to say, you yeah. worked on that. Yeah, yeah, he did. And it's a state-of-the-art facility uh, that uh, we now do all our 911 dispatching out for, for almost entirely the, encounter, the entire county. Uh, started in 2018. Um, I was a commander at the time, and actually I had to oversee the, the service to police department's involvement in it at the time. And then um, 
I've also been involved as uh, an interim director a couple times out there uh, while they were looking for a uh, the right fit for a good director, which I think they have right now. By the way, uh, the, the um, Tammy Joe is a director out there, Tammy Joe Wilkins, and she's a uh, um, got a, a background in it as well as emergency management, and she's a she's been a, a really good director out there. But that type of regionalization. Um, makes it a lot easier just as the pursuit we're involved in uh on our way up here uh ccom did a, a really good job on that and um we, everybody in the county is listening and, and we know we were actually paralleling that pursuit for a while on a different highway and we were able to get that information very quickly and, and, and be able to help so um working together in a rural county like cochise county is imperative for us to be able to really uh move the mission to the next level Chair, if I can add on that, too, is we're doing something remarkable that we've never seen in public safety in the state of Arizona. We worked with this Governor Ducey uh, based on a regional center that we have now, and we have state-of-the-art. We probably have the most modern, uh, up-to-date technology in the state. So we're taking our system in Cochise County along with Yuma, Flag, Phoenix, and Tucson, the three in the latter there, our state systems, and we're combining them to have a public safety statewide system. So if my, it puts it in perspective, if my deputy or chief Heiser's officers are in Flagstaff or Kingman, they can talk directly back to Cochise County. So awesome. A statewide system. So what you say, where that happens? So this goes for police, fire, and EMS. So say my deputies are taking uh, a mental health patient to hospital in Phoenix on the rural interstate, especially at 2 in the morning. They have comms directly back to dispatch if anything goes wrong. So it's really exciting. It builds regional partnerships, not just in the Cochise County, but the statewide. So we're excited. That should be by the end of the year, we should be up and live on that. Wow. That's pretty impressive. I've never understood why when somebody is having a, a mental meltdown, why do they call the police? Why don't they call an ambulance and have them taken to the hospital? Well, actually, it's a good question. It, it gets funneled <laughs> yes. to the police first sometimes because maybe uh, there's that assessment of whether they're a danger uh, and are they can they could they possibly hurt somebody. But what we're finding is that that's not always the right first responder to show up. Is not necessarily the police officer. It could be a mental health professional talking to them on the phone. And we actually see come. And uh, the Cochise County Sheriff's Office, uh, through their program, uh, kind of partnered into a, a dispatch diversion. Uh, uh, tactic that we're starting to use where um, not necessarily a police officer is the first one to go to a uh, person in crisis. It might be uh, a mental health provider uh, or a mental health professional who um, we triage it over the phone, make sure it's safe. Uh, and CECOM has been working on that. And that might be actually more effective. Uh, in getting somebody to talk to them over the phone or somebody to actually go on the scene or both? Both, yeah. And it may not be a person with a badge and a gun necessarily. It, it, we always have to weigh the safety part of it first. But uh, that, that diversion of a call for service that may have gone to a police officer to a mental health professional right away uh, is been has been proven to be effective, and we're we're giving that a try at uh, in Cochise County now. Sometimes I think it's the people who are involved in the incident at the time don't really know how to identify what the issue is what to nine one one. It's a comprehensive community project on that. It is, yeah. and you're exactly right on that, Sherry. We're not trained as mental health experts. You know, we're changing. We're, we're we like to say we're experts on public safety, but having a mental health expert that deals with people and how to address that, that's why that team's a first responder team. We're very excited to have them down there. It's its unique. It's rare. It's almost the exception of rural policing, but we have it and we're going to utilize it like the chief's saying, and, and hopefully we can save some lives and get in there before it becomes a critical event. You and I have talked about the border a lot. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like it's there. 
But we've also talked about, you know, in different areas, like what works in Yuma as far as border wall doesn't work here, which doesn't work in Texas. It's why don't they give the border governing the border to the county sheriffs to do what they need to do in their particular area instead of one one size fits all, basically. There, there's a thought behind that, Sherry, and, and the border for fall is an international federal border. It's a federal responsibility mandated by law. Sadly, this is what you're seeing in Texas when the federal government, I call it, intellectually abandons it. That says, hey, it's secure, even though we know it's not. That's why you have a governor so in, in, entrenched in that. I don't know if I agree totally with giving it to us. We have, we're the experts at communities, they're the export of that border. But when one fails, the other one picks it up. Picks up the slack. Yes. So that's why you see so much involvement between the police chiefs and myself and the troopers even. We're out there doing everything and working with the agents. I don't want to neglect them. They, those agents got the right intent. They're there for the right reasons to protect the homeland. But right now, I don't think anybody would argue that the border is a crisis. It's a crisis because policies aren't working. Prioritization was never put in place. And you got politics all over this. Shame, yeah. Those people in Congress, no offense, Congress and the White House have really put our county, they fractured our quality of life in many ways. I'm not saying it's not a great place to in live. In the security of the country, actually. Oh, yeah. They've fractured the homeland. And there's no doubt about that, too. Uh, as your first guest was talking about, you got blooms floating across America. And, and who put it up there? There's no flight plan. There should never be a question what floats across our country without us knowing. And uh, the other one flew from the northern border all the way to eastern before they shot it down. Well, your pictures are taken by then. So Yeah, it's over. <laughs> yeah, it's over. So let's, let's just get real with that. And so same thing. And we take an oath. I don't care if you're a police chief, a sheriff, all the way up to the president of the United States. The oath says we need to protect the citizens in this country. That's the bottom common theme in an oath when they don't do that. And I've said this and I'll say it again today. When Congress goes to their sessions and they do their Pledge of Allegiance, have them do their oath of office, too, because I think someone forgot that. Yeah, no doubt. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Law Matters Live Show works hard at keeping you informed on current issues from all law enforcement agencies, including any changes in both the tax and mortgage loan rules. I host the show as a volunteer. My real job is working for a mortgage broker with over 20 resources in residential, commercial, jumbo, as well as a reverse mortgage company whose new rule is offering tax-free money to those 55 and older, qualifying for up to $4 million. If you want to learn more, call me after the show at 520-310-9900. This is Deputy Chuke with Pima County Search and Rescue, reminding you that infants and toddlers do not experience heat as adults do. Consider this when bringing your young ones on a hike in temperatures of over 80 degrees. You do not want to risk that child having heat stroke or being arrested for child endangerment. If you're thinking of a trek through nature, plan ahead, look ahead, and use your head. Your future depends on it. Save your phone's battery life so when you get lost, we may contact you. Wearing bright colors that can be seen from a distance helps the effort. Law Matters is asking you to tune in every Saturday morning at 8 to hear from law enforcement and professionals in the industry. This year, Law Matters will be hosting educational events on topics that should concern everyone, like slavery, sexual predators, gun violence, and illegal drugs. And if you're buying illegal drugs, you are the problem. Because without buyers, there would be no sellers. Stay tuned to Law Matters for more event details as they develop. 
Law Matters wants you to know all phone and email scams follow the same basic pattern. A potential victim is contacted, they are given a compelling reason to act, and then they are told to pay money. In every scheme, there is an urgency factor. These scammers are professionals. They are using scripts that work. It is okay to hang up or tell a lie if you have to. Better yet, don't answer the phone if you don't recognize the number. If in doubt, reach out to a friend or a family member. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Cochise County Sheriff Mark Daniels and Sierra Vista Police Chief Chris Heiser. And we were just sitting here talking about fentanyl. Tell us what's going on because there seems to be a surplus of it. You know, fentanyl has become a hot topic over the last several years and because we're seeing more of a deadly impact from it, the poisoning that we're seeing. Give you an example, and these are stats from the uh, southwest border from California to Texas. In 2020, we had just under 4 million fentanyl pills seized. In 2021, we just had under 9 million fentanyl pills. In 2022, we had 114 million fentanyl pills seized. That represents 5 to 10% of all the fentanyl um, in the country that's coming across, which means 90% is getting into the communities or schools and getting killing families and children. Then you look at Arizona. Where's Arizona ranking this? Arizona is sees 68 million fentanyl pills out of 114 in 2022. The four Arizona border counties sees 35 million fentanyl pills. Kudos to them, but again, it's such a it's a tip of the iceberg when it comes to this. Why we're not addressing the war on drugs in this country is amazing, but it also goes back to that is a byproduct of having an open border. Yeah, it is. Totally and, is. And everybody says, oh, no, all those drugs are coming through legally through, you know, the ports of entry. No, I don't think so. Not all of them. We know it's not. And that, that's, that's such a simple answer. And I, I did a congressional hearing, uh, the, the Judiciary Committee back in D.C. in, I think it was February, March. And there was a victim of a, a mom and dad, their child died of fentanyl. And that question was brought up and that, that testimony, I'm going to paraphrase it, made the comment, the witness made a comment. He goes, doesn't matter where it comes across. It really doesn't. It's coming. And uh, just because we don't have the stats and I've seen, I've heard different stories on that 49% versus 51%. Who knows what it is and when it comes to specifics on that? Because when you have 1.6 million gotaways, yeah. gotaways, that's people that get just poof, uh, last three years, you know how much drugs aggravated criminals that came in this country. It, it it should be alarming to every American when it comes to their quality of life in their community. So we got to have this gear border and I'm going to keep saying it until the day it happens. And what, this is the other thing I don't understand about the people coming through illegally. They're not coming through legal means. They're, they're crawling under the fence, over the fence, cutting holes in the fence. Why are the border patrol people not allowed to say, go back? You came through illegal, go back. The front door is over there. Use the legal means. Well, that, that's that's the the cultural mindset of this administration. And it's not a policy. It's a cultural mindset. The policy yeah. comes back when, because that, let me just go back for and explain what I mean. President Biden came out earlier in the week, and I did an interview on it, where he's saying that he's going to restrict the asylum claims, which means he's going to reduce them, not many. They come across the border illegally. Well, you don't need an executive order. The federal law states if you come across the border illegally, you're automatically expelled. 
Right. That law has been set aside and becomes discretionary. And what we've promoted was we've incentivized the border, but we've also set up catch and release. And that's what's happening every day. There's no reason not to come. The international welcome mat is sitting all on our borders, coastal, northern, and southern. Well, they've set up tables and tents with supplies for people, too, when they come across. You know, you get food and drink and water and clothes, and Red Cross gives you a map. <laughs> you know, why Why are you not enforcing the law? I, I heard something yesterday. and You're seeing, I gave you a document today that's yes. out there. I can't and, wait uh, to read it. Yeah, it's an interesting document. It really it came out of Pima County. It's out there publicly. It's not like I gave you a secret packet there, but... Or a classified document there, Sherry. But uh, but long story short, I was listening to an interview yesterday on the way to Wilcox going to an event. And uh, Steve Christie, one of the board of supervisors here in Pima County, he was talking about the money. If I heard him right, I mean, besides the fact it's just outrageous amount of money on the NGOs, non-government organizations. But I want to say that they're spending $1 million a week here in Pima County to address that. You might know that better than I, but it's not if I heard him right. But I know that it's in millions and millions. I think he said $60 million up here and for administrative cost. That's to address all these NGOs. For example, in Cochise County, since May 8th of 2023 till February 20th of this year, 707 buses were coordinated by the state of Arizona and our emergency service office for Cochise County. 707 buses to address what we call street releases, people that have been bused to my county through Pima County, taking my agents off the border, processed them, which equates to thirty-five to 40,000 people. I think it was like 38,000 or something, somewhere in there, between thirty-five and 40,000 street releases of migrants have been processed in my county with no survival. And if it wasn't for those buses, that document talks about that money goes away March 31st. Yes. We yeah, are, I was just going to say that. It's a catch-22 all the way around. But this is the infrastructure fracture by the federal government when it comes to CBP. I feel bad for those agents. I feel bad for our communities, our citizens that we're trying to do everything we can for because I don't see an operational hope because we, I don't know where this is going. But there's nothing out there that's going to get better that I see. When you're interviewing these, these drivers, these high-speed chases, and they've got a trunk full of illegals, when you're interviewing them, do they ever tell you who hired them? To do that, well, yeah, sure, yeah. Let me let me kind of address that and and kind of circle back to uh, the the involvements we've had with this uh, at Service to Police Department. With my municipality being you know, about sixty miles north of the border, um, and um, the uh, the strain this is put on local law enforcement is we is you know just the theme of what we've been discussing is is we, we still have a job to do is to protect and serve the community so um, and what we do is we have to investigate these these are crimes that are taking place in our jurisdiction so when we have a pursuit with a load vehicle and uh, we make an apprehension on a on a on a smuggler someone who's driving uh, uh, these uh, immigrants uh, illegally through to you know through the state probably going to some other state. We conduct a full investigation, and so we usually we don't get information out of them. We don't get a lot of cooperation. That's why they're they don't stop for us. That's why we're in pursuits. They're they are told not to cooperate. What we do is we we have to seize their cell phones, and we do search warrants on their cell phones, and we're looking for the information on the apps that they're using, and trying to stay ahead of that. We have lots and lots of smartphones in our evidence right now at Service the Police Department that we're still waiting to go through with getting search warrants and and using the resources. Some of them we uh, we work closely with uh, uh, Homeland Security investigations on. So 
Um, we we will follow these uh, all the intel we can out of it. Each one of these is an opportunity to gain more intel uh, and sharpen our ability to address this. And sometimes it, it, when it's going over state lines for uh, an agency like mine, service to police department, there comes a point where we hit a wall because this is this is much bigger. It's cartel related, yeah. uh, and so we need to start working with our federal partners on this, and that's what we're doing. But um, back to the just back to the fentanyl. Um, I want to share a kind of perspective on that from uh, um, uh, as the service to police chief. It's coming into our, my city from multiple directions. It's being smuggled through Sierra Vista because of our proximity to the border, not meaning to stop in Sierra Vista. It's moving through, uh, going northward to Tucson and Phoenix, and then it comes back south into Sierra Vista for the users. So we're catching it both northbound and southbound through Sierra Vista. Uh, northbound is meant probably for some, some other location. Those are the large quantities, and then the smaller quantities coming back south for uh, into our community for uh, distribution. And so we're seeing a, uh, a large number of seizures of fentanyl pills, just like every other agency uh, probably in, in Arizona. It's, it's become a, a huge problem, and these are this is a dangerous substance. These uh, it goes hand in hand with the smuggling because what we're doing is we're apprehending these smugglers. We're charging with every applicable crime, and if that means DUI drugs. That's what we're doing. We're getting blood samples on these uh, individuals because they're showing signs of impairment. And we're finding that they're under the influence of methamphetamine and fentanyl while they're smuggling. And, in fact, maybe that's probably why they are signing up on these apps for this easy money is to fuel their drug addiction. So we have people that are uh, we are in pursuit with that are under the influence. Um, it, it's just uh, a perfect wow. storm. And so we are taking every aspect on this. This is the, the fentanyl goes hand in hand with this. These are fentanyl users that are doing the smuggling, we're finding out. We're getting these blood results back and finding out these are people that have uh, an addiction themselves. And so these aren't people we want on our roadways, period. And yet now they're driving 100 miles an hour and um, and in pursuit, uh, it, we're in pursuit of them and, and they, they will drive uh, wrong way against traffic. They will do th- whatever it can to get the pursuit terminated. Once we uh, start a traffic stop and uh, we realize this is a load vehicle because we don't know most of the times, uh, we're we're now committed because if we just terminate, they're still going to drive into our city uh, recklessly over 100 miles an hour. We have terminated some of our pursuits, and they still have ended in uh, bad accidents. Um, so it's it's a situation of damned if you do damned if you don't we we need to get these vehicles stopped um and they're also they're under the influence um and uh so this is a strain on our local law enforcement and but we are doing everything we can to um to to take every piece of this puzzle put it together and get these people prosecuted for every crime they've committed um and so uh it is a lot of work but uh we we also see um, with uh, I got to give kudos to Brian McIntyre, our Cochise County Attorney. Uh, you know they're staying busy with the prosecutions and, and picking up the work as well. Oh, this. they actually so, prosecute down there. Yes, we sure do. We we have an like as Chris says, we have an excellent prosecutor, Brian McIntyre. This is my fortieth year. He's the best one I've ever worked with. He, he's amazing. That's awesome. And we're getting him. It's called early resolution court. <clears throat> so we just had a guy from California armed. Uh, had a. We usually deal with single male adults being smuggled, camouflaged, but he had a 10-year-old in the back. Yeah. And he ran from our deputies. This is not, I think, last month or month for last, but he ran from our deputies. Uh, he spiked him twice, got his car stopped. He ran through the neighborhood. He was armed. 
Uh, long story short, he's already in prison. It took him like 10 days, less than two weeks, he was in prison. That's how quick our early resolution was. What happened to the child? Uh, Turnover Child Protective Service. So, yeah. No mom? I don't believe the mom was with him, no. We see a lot of that too, sad sad to say. It's just, there's no win. If you look at humanitarian, public safety, national security, there's not a box you can check this one here. And how people sit in Congress and say, what's Republicans or Democrats? No, it's all y'all. It's you, everybody. Yeah, get your act together. And same yeah. as the White House. And uh, you got Secretary Mark who still doesn't say it's a crisis. I mean, that just amazes me. But you got the president finally said it. Finally said it. Even though this president, who's the first in modern day history, as far as we can go back, not to meet with one sheriff in the country. I don't know if you know that. He has still not met with one sheriff. I don't think he's even met with the police chief. Um, they were just talking about it. We've no. had a lot of stuff no. talking to IACP, International Association of Chief of Police. They're part of our sheriff's summits. And it's just sad. That tells you the prioritization or lack of by this administration. The other thing I, I want to echo what the chief's saying, too, is social media has been the huge problem here. They're the marketing recruiter for these kids, which we've had over 100 in the last two years uh, involved in border crimes. Some of and them adults. not even old enough to drive. Oh, most of them aren't. I hate to say that. Most of them aren't. We've got one, uh, I think he was 14, 15, driving a stolen U-Haul that they even actually put a different VIN on it. That's how sophisticated that was. And they've been looking for this kid for a while. But it, it's just real. And we charge oh. kids, too. Brian charges mm-hmm. 14 and up. They'll charge. They'll remand them as adults. But social media has turned their head on this. You know, Sherry, you can buy a fentanyl pill off social media and they'll That's... deliver it to your house. The chief and I call that drug dealers. But yeah. federal government's like, oh, we got a problem with social media. And I know they just did a hearing. So people out there listening going, well, they just did a hearing. I thought that was a very productive hearing. Thanks for but Congress. But they haven't done anything. But what are we doing to change the law to govern those crimes that we know are happening every day? I say it. They're changing lives every day. The border is. Cartels are winning. Well, they have $2.6 billion in, in net last year profit. But nobody's addressing the cartels, the war on drugs, or border security. It's all about immigration and processing, how we can do that faster. Shame on this administration for what they're doing. I'm sorry I'm getting vocal on that, but we've been dealing with it every day. And like the chief says, the tragedy that we're seeing, double-digit murders down there from car pursuits and smuggling, on and on. And and nobody seems to care. Just like coming up here today. I mean, public's yeah. endangered. <laughs> Yeah, I got I got a was a text message going. Oh, we're in a high speed chase. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, we didn't know if we were gonna, we we didn't know if we were going to make it. Uh, I'll be totally with, uh, honest with you on that. I would I would have talked about you. Yeah, yeah had you not been here, I would have been talking <laughs> about you. <laughs> so tell me, are you are you hiring? Yeah, well, uh, Sherry, uh, service to police department. We're hiring for several positions. We're always recruiting for police officer. We have openings uh, and. Um, yeah, police officer recruitment is uh, actually a, a nationwide problem. Uh, it, it seems like we're still recovering from from a few years ago when a lot of people decided they didn't want to be police officers anymore. Um, but we, we're seeing an uptick. That was a bad rap. It was, and but we're seeing an uptick. <laughs> we are seeing an uptick. Uh, for to give you a, a little bit of a uh, kind of perspective on it, service to police department. We're authorized for sixty eight sworn positions, and we actually have a, almost ninety employees altogether, if you include our civilians. And uh, we hired 14 police officers last year. That's the most we've ever hired in one year. So we're seeing an, an uptick. Uh, we still have some uh, retirements coming down and, and openings, so we are uh, recruiting actively. And uh, we're very proud of the academy we have down in uh, in Cochise County that we use, uh, Police Academy, through Cochise College and the Cochise County Sheriff's Office. And um, we're also hiring for a lot of civilian positions, too. Our animal control uh, 
division. Uh, our records clerks, we're looking for uh, records clerks. So we have a lot of openings. But one uh, uh, position that uh, I think is worth mentioning is if anyone's interested in getting into law enforcement and they're just not old enough yet, and they're they're at least 18 years of age, but they're not 21 yet, we have a community service officer position uh, that uh, is uh, support for our patrol bureau. And Tell us what yeah. a community service officer does. What are yeah. their duties? The community service officer position is a civilian position. It is uniformed. Uh, we even have them wear a, uh, a ballistic vest just for protection, but they don't make arrests. They don't carry a gun. They uh, handle a lot of the uh, safer calls for service where um, you're not uh, making an apprehension or there's no suspect on scene. So a lot of what we call cold calls, calls where maybe, uh, let's say, for example, uh, there's a hit and run uh, at the Walmart parking lot. And when some, an officer would normally come and take a hit and run report, uh, suspect's not on scene, a CSO would take that report. And if there is some something actionable, a follow-up that needs to be uh, done to make an arrest, they get handed off to a police officer later. But the community service officer does a lot of uh, support for uh, the uh, police officers out on the road. So maybe a traffic accident. They show up at the traffic accident, they start filling out the forms, and they uh, they do traffic control. And um, they, they can take uh, fraud reports and, and reports over the phone. So they get a good taste for uh, a lot of what you do as a police officer you're just not doing the the more dangerous parts you know the uh the arrest and uh, uh they don't go to dv calls they don't go to uh any type of call where there's a suspect on scene so if they decide once they decide okay this is what i want to do how old do they have to be to go to the academy they need to be 20 and a half years old they can turn 21 <laughs> in the academy so uh, as long as we know they're going to get to the age of 21 before they graduate the academy and we'll, we'll literally calculate that out with them and uh they can uh, they can actually we can hire them when they are 20 years old that's that's good because they're getting street smarts before they actually hit the academy yes that's that's awesome and the other thing about it, it's nice recruitment bed i mean having them in the house yes. like they have we have we we're we're unique we have a jail so we get to hire folks out of our jail, which really helps us too. So if you hire somebody, you don't maybe can't get him to the academy for a couple of months. We can put him in our jail. Now he can put him over in his community service uh, team. So it's a it's a great program they're doing at the PD. But yeah, we're we have testing today. In fact, if I wasn't here, I'd be at our. I always welcome all our new deputies at the testing process and say welcome, good luck to you. Hopefully you make it through. You know, give it your best. Kind of give them an idea what the sheriff's department's all about. But um, yeah, we had sixty five apply. For, for our deputies and uh so we're, we're doing what all percentage right? makes it through it's pretty small <laughs> it is uh you know they, they show an interest people will show up and um between the uh the entire pro- hiring process from oral board the background polygraph psychological medical you lose a few you lose a few and, and rightfully so because not everybody's fit to, for the job that just because they're interested doesn't mean they, they should get hired. Um, and there's uh, there are AZ post requirements we need to meet. And in fact, before they go to the police academy, they, there's an AZ post audit that needs to take place to make sure they've met all the state requirements. So what kind of audit? What what does AZ post look for? They look to make sure your background has got it, it's got integrity. You're not a serial it. killer, or there's something missing, <laughs> or you don't have any conflicting statements. That's a big thing. AZ post, which is the state standards, actually set up a. a a site now where if you apply at service to PD and then six months later you apply with us, that background is being checked to make sure you're saying the same thing all the way through. So it's consistent behavior. Inconsistent behavior is part of what they look for. 
Well, they have a um, application on their website that you can apply, and it goes out to all the agencies, doesn't it? I heard that. No, no, no. It goes to post, and then so if I want to see what his app, uh, Chris's applicant put in, then I can see that and see if there's any discrepancies there. Maybe but that's what he was. I think that's what it is. It's like yeah. a centralized portal, so to speak, yes. in the sense that we can all access it and get it um, and see. In fact, uh, I believe there's tracking on the which agencies um, are going to be allowed to view it or share it with. So okay. that, that's probably what, exactly what you're you're referring to. And the other part of that is uh, the background requires all the records checks everywhere they've ever lived. And AZ Post want to make sure we, we've done our diligence to try and get any police reports. Because it's not just a criminal history. It's, it's what, what police reports are out there on somebody in the communities they've lived in in the past. And have we tried to get those police reports and review them? So it takes some time. We don't... Uh, uh, we don't lose a lot of people because usually up front we tell people this is what you're going to be prepared to go through. And I think yeah, some if your people, photos hanging in the post office, yeah, don't bother. Yeah, right? yeah. And, yeah, and we tell them be ready for all this. When some of them see the background packet, they need to fill out. Some of them self remove. I think yeah, so. <laughs> it's like this is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Do they check social media? Oh, yes. they do. That's yeah. a, that's a new concept yeah. for yes, us it both. Is. People need to understand, mm-hmm. your kids need to understand, whatever mm-hmm. you put out there on social media, it's oh. going to follow you. It'll yep. rear its ugly head when you least expect it. And we even do home visits. I know the PD does too, police departments. Uh, good backgrounds. I mean, you can tell me, hey, you're you're, you're the, the perfect neighbor. Well, let's go see if you're the perfect neighbor. Let's see how you live. And uh, so we'll, we'll do a, a residence check and talk to them at the home. Yeah, I wonder how they feel when the cops show up. <laughs> Well, that's a thought too. If they don't want us there, there's the family. Yes, we, we. So we, we've got really. You have to nowadays. You really have yeah. to to make sure we got role models serving our communities. Absolutely. In fact, when we have uh, uh, applicants that have prior law enforcement experience, maybe they work for another police department in another state. Our background investigator will fly out there, visit the agency, look through all the files to make sure everything was shared with us because not everything will get shared necessarily um, when you go out there and look at it. And we want to look at the agency they're coming from too and then maybe just uh, evaluate the agency they're coming from and make sure before we bring them into our community to, to wear a badge and carry a gun. That's the job I want. I'll apply for that job. We do have a, a background investigator. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a civilian position. So, yeah. Okay, I'll put in my app. <laughs> <laughs> so, what words of wisdom do you want to give people? You, you know, they've got kids. Great, you know, and we're talking middle school kids that are you're finding. What do you tell your kids about the internet and how to stay safe? And no, you don't want to go work for the cartel. What do you explain to them that this is not a good idea? You're not supposed to be ordering j- drugs on Snapchat. Well, we have a great programs with our schools. I know the police department do. I know uh, Chief Heiser does too. I just spoke to uh, an educational, all the superintendents and principals yesterday, and they had a threat assessment uh, conference yesterday. So I spoke to that. And, and the more that we can interact with our CTE, which is our career technical education program, which is all the high schools in Cochise County, that we go in there, we spend a lot of time with them. The more that we in law enforcement that wear the uniform can be in our schools, whether you're having lunch with the kids, whether you're talking to the kids, whether you're coaching a kid. A lot of the cops coach, too. I know Service PD has it. His assistant chief is a coach. I coach. And you're coach. Yeah, I've coached for years. And the more we can spend time and build relationships with our kids, the better chance we got to make them successful. And that's so important because you're not lecturing them, you're interacting with them. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's all about mentorship. And yes. uh, the way you can influence... 
kids. I, I think the most is to to be a good role model, but take a coaching and mentoring approach to this. When it comes to social media, uh, what I'd like to tell parents is um, don't just give them a phone and, and then walk away. Yeah, no. You're, you need to go through it. You need to uh, you need to watch what they're doing. Um, you still have responsibility to supervise your kids. And we uh, we have a program at Service to PD called Teen Talks, and where we we, we actually bring in the parents and the kids together uh, in our auditorium and have talks about these things. And sometimes we kind of bring up the examples of things where we've had to take kids' phones and do search warrants on them because of stuff they did and, and the threats that were made um, and what that what that meant for the parents, too. And, and having them both listen to that together and then leave together knowing, you guys, uh, it, it, this is a privilege you have. Uh, you got to earn it, and it can be taken away. Um, Absolutely. That's just, that's just parenting right there. And we ask, we ask parents to be good parents, but... The mentorship piece of it is really important, and one of the things we're going to be doing next year is putting a, a school resource officer in our middle school. We don't have one right now, and I think it's going to be very critical uh, in our community down in Sierra Vista because um, we want that school resource officer to have these talks and have that relationship. We want these uh, we want these kids in, in school to look at that that school resource officer as as a as a role model um and somebody they can talk to absolutely and um so uh there's there's always room for us to improve on this one this is one that we're we're always sometimes playing catch up with when we find out there is a you know a threat or something like that we have to deal with uh bullying cyber bullying all that stuff um there's there's room for us to keep working on that and if your your child is you know having mental problems or depression or whatever don't buy him a gun for a Christmas gift. Yeah. Like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> you that think the family exactly. should never be able to access those any weapons. Any weapons. No. Yeah. They don't need it. Well, how old was that kid? 15, 14? Yeah. And his he, parents yeah, are, yeah. are being held accountable, rightfully yeah. so. They should be. And what happened to the kid? I don't know, whatever. I think. He, I think he got life. I, yeah. I thought he got life in person. Yeah. Did he? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think well, he got life. That's so sad. You know, Cheryl, I'll say something to you as we close out here too is, you know, agencies, whether it be recruitment, whether it be successes, and uh, whatever it may be, yeah, we're dealing with scrutiny. We have been for the last several years, and sadly, I think it's unwarranted in so many ways, and I share that a lot, but it also goes back to our reputations as agencies, as a sheriff's office, as a police department, and that starts with the leadership. I mean, we're, we're pretty proud. I get to work with Chief Heiser. He, he's just really doing amazing things down there. But chiefs and sheriffs throughout the country, they're just doing so many good things. But those sheriffs and those chiefs are not. That's on them. Don't blow, yeah. blame national scrutiny when you're not doing your job either. I think that's important to hear, too. We're not hiding behind uh, work costs. We all should get. No, we got to earn that. Yeah. We got to earn that respect. We got to earn that reputation. If we're not doing that, that's on us. And it's it's a comfort to know when agencies work together with each other something's going on you have each other's back and not all agencies do that it's unfortunate and we got to be transparent and that takes time to build transparency and takes time to build trust and if you do all three of those t's i call it i mean you're going to do good things we do that all the time down in coaches i I keep saying it's a special place to serve i've done this 40 years people how much longer you're going to do it as long as i can smile and i'm serving a community that still likes us and respects us because we've earned it i'll keep doing i enjoy what i do now you do you do an amazing job down there and I'm proud of you. Thank you for Thank what you. you do. Thank you. Both of you. Thank you. Okay, I want to remind everybody, next week we're doing the Sheriff Candidates Debate Show. 
So we're going to have three of the candidates in here, the ones that have assured me they have enough signatures to get on the ballot. And this is part one. We're going to have to do this in two parts. So if you have questions, thoughts, send them to me. I'll include it. And until next week, shop local and stay safe.